0: you're listening to two guys talking wine with michael Pincus and andre prue hello michael hello andre how are you i'm good i i just i caught myself while we were having one of those conversations where we usually waste good content beforehand then you know woefully try to recreate it during the podcast and always like half-ass it oh well that's isn't that the usual way? <laughs> yeah, I guess. Um, <laughs> there is something, like, I, I i think you and I are pretty good at not being shameless in flogging our individual projects because this podcast is really, it's a collaboration. It's um, Oh, you're pretty shameless about your wine, but yeah, go on. Yeah, yeah, okay, I am pretty shameless about it. Um, not as shameless as I could be, but anyways, I was trying to say something nice about you, but you had to oh, go and ruin all right, it. all so. right, good, okay.
1: I'll let you continue then, because I, I, I so rarely hear that, out of your mouth especially.
0: Yeah, I guess we do have that dynamic these days. Um, what I was going to say is, there is something you've put together for the past three years that I know you put some blood, sweat, and tears into that was just dropped, just dropped, um, let's see, what was it, last Thursday? July 1st. Yeah, so it was dropped last Thursday. At, at noon. At noon, it, it went live. I still don't know why you do it at noon. You should do it at like eleven a.m. or at ten a.m. when some of the LCBOs open, so people can rush to the LCBO.
1: No, I like I like the I like the um, I like the sound of noon, and it gives me a deadline that I can I can probably reach. Fair enough. You know, I get up at six in the morning, and I lollygag for about an hour or two, and then I uh, you know in, into the office where I lollygag probably for another hour uh well, I fight with my computer because I got to wake it up because it doesn't like getting up in the morning either, and then uh sooner or later, I get to things but uh by by noon um it just it just it just feels right it's like it's like i don't know if you remember this uh but when you would go to ticketmaster and and go at tickets and they would they wouldn't sell them till like eleven o'clock or noon and you had to stand in
0: line. Well, there it's you that go.
1: Feeling I'm, tr- I'm going for, I guess.
0: So, how many rosés have you tasted for this one? So this is 100
1: and uh, 160. Although I have tasted some uh, a few times, kind of like Michael Vaughn does, uh, but mostly because um, uh, I, I just I, they they didn't show well, and I thought, okay, I'll, I'll give them another shot because I, I, you know, some people are nice enough to send a second bottle. And you get a you get a first bottle, and you go, eh. and so and, and because there's a second bottle handy, you go, oh you yeah, will give it a shot again, and then you do, and you're like okay. Mo- the most notable one was a was a um, was a sparkling wine by Louis Louis Boyou, hmm. which is uh, usually a great. Uh, what's called pearl pearl D'Ivoire, if I'm not mistaken, usually or de I can't remember at the moment. but I've got so many rosé names running through my head, um, but. You know, it's usually just a, a, a wonderful rose sparkling, and I ha- I have bottles uh, in the in the house. And the first bottle I tasted, I, I, I it might have it might have been corked. Uh, it didn't taste corked, but it tasted really off, not like anything I would want to drink. And mm-hmm. I actually, both reviews do kind of appear in the in the in the um, in the uh, in the report this time.
0: I actually, think it's, it's reassuring to hear you say that because I know. Um, that one of the challenges with making rosé, especially if you are looking to get the twenty twenty out in time for spring, is dealing with a bit of bottle shock. And I think even even at this point, like it can take a little while for some of these wines to shave that to, sorry to shake that uh, bottle shock before they're really you know ready to ready to rock.
1: Well, I I know the ones that I like picked up from uh, producers here. Um, they, they were like, uh, you know, some, some of them said to me, if you could wait as long as possible, uh, to taste this. And, and I did. I, like, I, 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 followed, I follow instructions pretty good when it, when it comes to wine and, and giving everything a fair shake. Um, and, uh, some people would say they just bottle it. Can you give it as, as much time as you can? And, uh, I had put a deadline of the 20th. Uh, for tasting, but I, I ended up getting a whole whack of stuff between the twentieth and the twenty seventh. So I ended up having to taste a whole bunch of wines and and uh, hate, I don't want to say rushed um, rushed them, but I mean I, I had to make sure that they were tasted so that I could get into the, the report.
0: Yeah. No. Cool. I I uh, completely get that. And you've got your nice um, uh, article that you you wrote with it, and you you put a lot of words, a lot of pens, a lot of pen to paper there, where you've kind of broken down like what it is you're looking for in a rosé and um i i, I do I, I i really like the perspective that you give in the paragraph where you're talking about how m- you say no one but i think what you really mean to say is is most people like 98 percent of people are not looking for anything complicated or austere they're just looking for something that you can crush on the patio gives you that strawberry watermelon or, or whatever it is with the variety you're working with um, I really like that you quote and I I feel like you're leaning a bit into some some of my analogies there where you uh, you pull out no one's looking for stairway to heaven they're looking for more <laughs> like good as hell from lizzo which I'm pretty sure I've made a comparison like that on this podcast before but uh, you know I'll, I'll, I, I, I'll lend I you that one used,
1: I used that one in last year's report in and it and it, uh, and it worked out well I really liked it it, it is very similar to you know where you you talk about you talk about wines in a musical uh, term. Yeah, and um, uh, I just I just liked it last year because I think it's during one of our our podcasts with Thomas you brought it up. And oh well, yeah, because uh, I thought, Thomas well, Thomas yeah, is the I, one who I, I like. I like that that analogy that people can probably go back to. Um, that you know I don't think anybody's really looking for a stairway to heaven rosé. I really don't. I you know you're looking for that in reds. Uh, you may be looking for that in in Chardonnay, as I know you are, um, but I, I really don't think Rosé is the kind of wine that people go. Uh, I really want to sit down and really inspect this wine to the nth degree.
0: Yeah, listen, I'm gonna I'm gonna say there's a two percent factor to that. I, I think there's like a two percent. I think it's less than that. I think, yeah, okay. I think I, it's less than that. I'll, I'll I'll even give that. I'll even give you. I'll even give you that. And I think most producers. Are not looking for austerity when they're making making rosé, but I, on the other hand, though, um, I don't think this whole you know, I, I think the con the um you know the overall thought that uh, rosé is a bit of an afterthought from producers is a thing of the past, you know.
1: It is, and and that's that's what I really like. There, you know, I'll tell you this: I believe that there are still producers out there who do make it as an afterthought and it shows like in a big way but um it uh as far as it goes for the most part there is some serious thought going into rosé although i still say it is not a a quote-unquote serious wine even collectors and people who go you know i'm not going to buy a rosé for under 15 or i'm not going to buy a rosé under 20 i want something a little more exciting um, those who are buying, such as the uh, uh, Dolce & Gabbana, which is almost $50 for a bottle of rosé, um, people who are buying that are still going to drink it sooner. Uh, I don't think they're looking for complexity. I just think they're looking for a, a, kind of a wow factor and then out to the patio and go and, and away they go.
0: I don't know if serious is the... Is the right word though, Michael? Because I, I think Rose has gotten a lot more serious. I think you, in a backhanded way, just admitted that that it's no longer the afterthought, and people are treating it more serious. And I think you're confusing, and I think it's just the general consensus that you're confusing uh, serious with sellerability.
1: Well, okay, so yes, I, when I when I talk about serious people, people who are serious collectors, and that's what I'm I'm, I'm guessing for or, or going for. Look, I. I Inventory wine cellars is one of the things I do. Yep, and um, you know the off bottle you find somebody with a with an old rosé. Um, you know, nine times out of ten, you point that to the point that out to them, and they say, "Oh, well, that should have been drank a long time ago." And you're <laughs> like, "Yeah, it's it's fun to open it up." And and I have with with some clients, they gone, oh, let's open it up and taste it," and it's as dead as a doornail. And they go, "Oh, I'll cook with that," and you're like. Don't do that.
0: <laughs> that being said, on the other side of the coin, um, you you referenced Thomas Bachelder earlier in this. He's the one who suggested that with um, when pigs fly, we hold a few bottles back. Now I don't think he was telling me and, and my guys that we should hold back a large quantity and do like a um, you know massive back vintage fire sale or anything. But you know just to see how wines age. or twenty seventeen has evolved. Interestingly, I have two bottles left, but also. You know, I run the company, so I think keeping those bottles has a little bit of a romantic notion to it. But, yeah, I think for for by and large, even a year in the cellar, it was another thing you said in in, in your report. And I'm sorry for people um, who haven't read it. And before I I go into quoting more of what Michael wrote, please go and read Michael's Rosé report. Where can they go check it out?
1: Uh, They can uh, head to my website, and it's at com. There will be banners all over the site to uh, to uh, find it. I lost my train of thought, and then you can go on to you know Facebook. It'll be there, and I'll uh, and then oh, just to let people know while you're while you're bringing the train back to the station, uh, there will be uh, addendums coming out at the uh, uh, end of July or beginning of August, and then again at the end of August, early September, depending on how many wines uh, still show up. But I know there's a whole a whole whack of them that I try from British Columbia and then some of them come in uh, throughout the summer for people who still want to get uh, get into the report and then the report will be up and live uh until the end of October which I'm assuming is kind of the end of rosé season.
0: Yes, with once again the asterisk that uh, we're t- if we're, we're let's let's just we can refer to them as the 1%. The 1% of of wine uh of wine snobs who um you know, appreciate a good rose year-round who stash, stash, stash away a few bottles to keep around for Thanksgiving because they know it goes with turkey because frankly everything goes with turkey so why not pick a <laughs> wine that goes with everything and just keep it simple but like we're talking about the one percent here again if that well, if that
1: uh, look I, I still have a few roses from last year uh, I have learned over the uh, over the course of, of doing this that um, I, I I like the freshness of Rose and I think, again, there's your 99% of people who like that freshness in rosé, and, um, and, and they will drink them. They, they, they probably should be drunk within the, the year, uh, within two years, uh, but three years you're starting to get long in the tooth, and by the time you get to year five, uh, you're, you're, you're bordering lo- bordering on the, uh, I, I really don't want to drink that anymore, or, it's, or, or it has lost so much of its freshness that it really, you know, it's rosé, but I mean, it's not the kind you'd go, yeah, that's that's super spectacular, and I I, I, I love it. Uh, there are a few rosés that make that uh, that great. I think screw cap helps it a little bit, but even even the the ones from last year that I am trying this year, um, uh, I'll, I'll mention one, Dirty Laundry's Hush, which was my 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 rosé of the year last year. Yeah, uh, had it this evening. Still lovely, but it's lost a little bit of that you know zip zing you know zam that you're really looking for. It was a very tasty rosé still. So if anybody still has any of that, uh, it still drinks very well, but it has is, it, it is lost a, a lot of a, a lot of its punch, and I, I have a feeling that it's it's going to continue to lose its punch over the over the years.
0: Yeah, no, it's uh that's that's pretty spot on. I thought you were going to be more of a blockhead about uh, about that, but uh, no, no, we're all good. So, um, Michael, why (laughs) rosé? Well, the the uh, you know uh,
1: original impetus uh, was I like rosé, and it seemed like a great little summer project. And um, you know we we are or we were members of the Wine Writers Circle of Canada. I I don't know if the thing still exists anymore. We We haven't gotten together, obviously, because nobody's gotten together. Yeah. But um, they used to have a a legitimate rosé tasting every year. We'd get together and we'd taste all the rosés that were coming out. And uh, I I put my first one up just as a page on the website. And uh, the next year, because we couldn't get together, I thought, well, hell, damn. I'm going to just, you know, try and and get as many as I possibly can. And I ended up, I think, by the time I was done, 248 rosés were tasted. Wow. Um, and then, uh, at some point, and I gotta give a little shout out here to, to Daniel Speck, uh, cause I, I guess, you know, when you're in, when you're in the middle of a project, Andre, you really don't, you know, connect all of the dots. And Daniel said, well, it makes sense for a guy named Pincus to be doing Pink One. <laughs> and, and I went, well, I, I guess, I guess he's
0: right. So. Just out of curiosity, just because they, uh, uh, <laughs> Just because Family Wine Merchants just has so many labels under their belt between Henry of Pelham and uh, Spec Brothers and and et cetera, um, how many rosés did you get from Family Wine Merchants? Uh,
1: you know what? Uh, I I got um, uh, geez, that's a good question. Uh, there's probably seven to ten from them. Uh, Dan Duran was also very good to me. Uh, a, a box appeared at the beginning of July uh, that I was not expecting. Um, but I got an email from from one of the people there, and it said, we got a surprise for you. And I said, uh, is it a puppy?
0: And
1: <laughs> she said, "She said, no. And I said, well, I, I like ice cream as well. And it turns out that it was neither. It was just a box of uh, about 11 rosés. So that was really lovely to see that uh, pop in, and ones that I hadn't um, expected. And then the, the guys from United Star also sent uh, eight, and uh, some of them are not even ones that we can get in our market. Uh, it was just stuff that they had, um, you know, that had been sent to them in duplicate and and triplicate. And they said, "Would do you, do you mind if it's you know just consignment or does it have to be in the LCBO?" And I said, "It's any rosé." And uh, they sent some, and and was, there was, some of them were really, really lovely. And the sad part is, we will never see a see a drop of them in Ontario.
0: Yeah. Oh, I mean, that's cool, though, because your Rosé report's now going on, like, a much larger scale. Larger scale.
1: Yeah, the uh, the international section is going to be a little bit bigger this year, which is nice. The Ontario section is, is always the majority. So this year, uh, probably about 60%. Um, by the end, uh, it'll still stay at about 60%. BC will take about 10%, and then the rest of it will be the international stuff.
0: Well, there you go. Yeah.
1: And it's fun tasting a lot of rosé, right? The, the 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 hardest part is uh, when you start in uh, April, which is when I when I first put out the call, and I'm like, you know, if you got some rosé, send it along. And my my goal is to always taste them outside on a sunny day. And I always go out and take the pictures outside, and I taste them outside. But some days, especially in April and early May, they're not really rosé days. They're sunny, but they're not. <laughs> they're not really
0: warm um, another thing in your uh, Rose report that I think is really worth bringing attention to because it's one thing I noticed when I, I took a look at your scores is um, the scores were a little lower than I would expect even even from you uh, well, like, there's a lot of three and a half uh, actually a lot of threes which is n- I, I um, not something a lot of I I, I don't publish three scores very actually shouldn't say I don't very rarely do I publish three scores. There are only a handful of wines that have uh four point four point scores and a lot that hover between three and a half and three and a half plus.
1: So um and this brings me, me to and I and I and I, I, I do have an article in this, this version. There's more articles in this version than there were last year. Um and and one of them is, is on scoring. And I know you and I have have had that discussion over and many over again. times.
0: So let's not spend too much time on this. So
1: uh, Rosé is not it's not a 90 point wine. Like it's there was a time Andre at one point where uh, like 88 89 was a great score. Like if you got an 88 89, you were you were on the moon. If you got 90, you were you were over it. But you were on the moon at 88 89 you were like that's a great score i can sell this wine at 88. nowadays you got to be in the 90s and you got to be well into the 90s well rosé is not a 90 point wine people it's it's just it's it's a, it's for the most part it's simple easy everyday you know drink it chug it whatever you're going to do kind of wine and i really get into uh, this this article that if somebody is scoring uh, wines first of all consistently in the 90s they're not being honest but if they're scoring rosé consistently in the in 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 the 90s then they're not really doing you any service and they're not um and they're not doing it for the wine they're doing it for themselves they're doing it to get notoriety rosé is a wine that really in honest terms should be thumbs up thumbs down that's really where rosé should sit.
0: But don't you think the fact that the category is being taken a little bit more seriously by producers counts for counts for something and should be pushing those those scores up? Like shouldn't you be I just playing devil's advocate here. Um, but shouldn't you be scoring the wines based on the category that you're tasting? Like, you know, you wouldn't be No, I'm, I don't know, I'm you, tasting.
1: I You, you, you have just you just admitted a that It's of the uh, of the 100 point scale the 100-point scale was based on, taste this wine, give it a score between, basically, really, let's be honest, 80 and 100. And yep. um, it's it's about the, the, the wine. And I will bet you that, let's go back when, you know, Robert Parker started the 100-point scale, and when people were being honest and serious about the 100-point scale, I would really be shocked if you saw a lot of rosés in the 90-point scale. Oh, there you I go. I'd be shocked. Right? Yeah. Okay, so, fair enough. So why are we pushing, you know, scores up? And, and, and let's be honest, it is just so that people can get their name on advertisement sheets. Uh, so that, you know, you get into the LCBO catalog. So that, you know, um, um, Toro Bravo can say, hey, I got 98 points for this $8 wine. <laughs> Look, the Toro Bravo this year tasty wine but anybody giving it 90 and above is smoking a lot of crack
0: just letting that one sink in for a second but no i okay i mean that's um that's a fair point and i I think you know like i said we've talked about it a lot on on this podcast it's it's once again problematic that in order to get a wine submitted to the lcbo uh that you they solicit wines that require high critic scores um and you know we have um, an organization like Wine Align that takes money from agents and wineries to have their wines reviewed. So um, you know, I, I guess I guess it's just to say we're, we're getting to the point where wine journalism is basically basically dead, and it's a score system. So who can?
1: I, I think who, it's I, I think it's honest wine journalism.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, okay. Which is,
1: um, like I've I, I've I found that my scores are going down. Maybe it's to fight the. The, the scoring system that we find ourselves in. I think I, it
0: is. I, I, I think I would say that I think you have a bit of a chip on your shoulder with the direction that things have been going, and you refuse to sink to the lowest common denominator, which uh, I think is is admirable. I, look, I could Luca
1: Maroney everything and put 98 and 99 on everything, but then I can't justify that score. I don't know how he justifies 99 points what's the one point missing? I've seen more 99s from him than I've seen from anybody else in the world and I'm like, what's missing from that wine that you said
0: 99, not 100? Yeah, nope, fair enough So uh, let's go through highlights, do you have any highlights from the Rosé report? Oh, jumping uh, well, I was actually uh, so... pretty overwhelmed when I looked at your list because I knew that I'd, I'd tasted um, tasted a handful, a handful of them, but uh, you tasted a lot more than I did
1: so I I'm just gonna go through my rough notes here because um, everything's on a on a spreadsheet or and and I'm gonna give you some some really good highlights. Uh, Westcott's 2020 Pinot Rose that was uh, that was a nice uh, lovely wine.
0: Yeah, pretty shocking uh, how it held on to the uh, the acidity in spite of the um, the, the crazy ass heat last summer.
1: Correct, and that's the, that that really is a, a big part of
0: of the 2020 rosés, especially from Ontario
1: is that acidity was really tough to hang on to. 19, all over it. Um, and I think that, that uh, for, for the lack of a better term, kind of made the swing between some of the rosés really noticeable and why some rosés weren't good because people couldn't handle the acidity. Whereas this year, there as you said, there's a lot of three-and-a-halves a lot of three and a half plus a lot of three pluses but i mean we're, we're all in that range and there was a lot more wines that made the report uh because you know the acidity was, wasn't throwing everything off it was just really fruity really juicy so there was a lot of a lot of good uh, a lot of good tasty rosé out there uh because that acidity wasn't just you know clobbering people over the head and 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 Throwing thing that's out of balance which reminds me of the niagara college 2019 balance rose um really good i know i really don't usually talk about you know price being an issue but that's at 16.95 uh, is delightful and a 19 uh that's holding on to its acidity so it was it was really nice uh i, I know the 2027 um gamay rose was really really good again uh, so Kevin uh, Panagak uh, knows really how to hold on to acidity and, and make a nice rosé. Yep. I mentioned the Toro Bravo, the twenty twenty uh, heads and tails over last year,
0: um, and I, I tasted that. We tasted that together on a on a podcast earlier this year, and um, I, um, I
1: I not as big a fan. I thought I, I thought it, I, I thought it was drinkable. But, but I thought it was drinkable, but
0: I wouldn't even like I, I couldn't score the wine. It was, it was, if someone brought it to my house, I would, I would drink it, but, um, yeah, it, um. Well,
1: I, I tried the 2019 and to me that was, uh, almost unpalatable. So this year I was like, wow, that's really tasty. Uh, and you had to let it open. It was the other thing. You had to let it, let it open. The first few sips are a real, uh, for lack of a better term, it's kind of a dog's breakfast. Uh, but I came back, some of them I would go like, oh, that's not very good. But then I'd let them sit open for a little bit, and then I'd t- go back and taste them again, just to give them that other that that final shot before I dumped them down the sink. And uh, if you let it open just, you know, maybe five ten minutes, I thought it was a, a much much better wine. So, uh, Featherstone's twenty twenty rosé, lovely,
0: I and interesting. Like I, I actually just wrote a tasting note for that particular wine, where it, it's one of the things where, um. And I, I I will admit that the I think the VQA landscape has evolved over the past few years. Now that the whole concept of typicity has fallen front and center, where I think we're getting a little bit more interesting things happen. But it's the nice thing about rosé is we don't really have a typical style of rosé that has you know clobbered the province over the head. That we still no. get nice varied um, styles. And the thing is, the uh, Westcott. Pinot Noir Rosé is I think as close to austere as you're going to get from the province something a little bit more lean and restrained like floral notes uh, you know pinkies up like really you know you might want to ponder that one for a moment Um, not cellar it like still drink it right away where the Featherstone Rosé is just opulent and juicy and like bursting with uh, you know like Swedish berries and, and perfectly ripe raspberries yeah, there's, there's a lot there's and there's a
1: lot of that this year. There's a lot of strawberry, watermelon, uh, raspberries. But, but you is get almost. But that's you know, it. You a get secondary thought.
0: It, well, and I think it, it, that just has to do with more of the vintage conditions. But the thing is, you 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 still have that whole rainbow of like yeah, like heavier, more juicy uh, rosés versus uh, ones that are are you know really trying hard, giving it the college try to hold on to their acid. Uh, Malivore hit
1: it out of the park this this year again with the, with Vivant and and Moiro. Uh, two, you know, if you are into the um, you know, more light style rosés, they really uh they really they really brought it.
0: And I'm surprised that you did not you did not like Ladybug because I got my hands on a bottle um because I knew while you were working on this that you did not enjoy it. And I thought it was I thought it was very tasty. It was fine.
1: Well, I, as I said when we were talking to Shiraz, and I said get me, get me another bottle then because um, uh, I, the the bottle I tasted was off. So I don't I don't know the reason why I let it. I did the same thing. I, I tasted it once, let it open five, then ten minutes. Because I usually love Ladybug, and to me, there was just something wrong. So I'm going to go with the bottle variation on this one. Okay. Um, and I, I, you know, if, uh, if Malabar wants to send not another too late, one along, I'm not happy. Too late to, to 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 re- not too late to get into
0: one of the addendums. Not too late to get into one of the addendums, guys.
1: Uh, you know what? The, the, one of my favorite rosés of the whole thing was from Italy. It was a Cantina Del Garda 2020 Bartolino Chiaretto. And I thought it was so fantastic, so wonderful. I loved the wine. Uh, I gave it a three and a half plus with an exclamation point.
0: Yes, um, I, that's another thing you made a note of in your, I mean, it's, I, I appreciate the the Mia culpa that sometimes you wish you could do plus plus, but it kind of defeats the purpose of the stars. At that point, you, you should start nitpicking between, um, you should start nitpicking between 90 and 91 points, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. That's, that's the whole thing. But the, the the stupid thing about this is it's it is the good part is I guess that it's coming to the LCBO. But the st- and it's stupid priced. It's like twelve ninety five. But but they have it coming out like in late September. Like talk about missing the boat.
0: Yeah, and I think I think we're still dealing with um, a bit of a jet lag having to do with the pandemic. Like especially for our agents who are importing stuff. I know talking with them. Um, like there's there's still challenges with getting stuff in in a timely fashion.
1: I get it, but I mean, you know, that's still a, 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 an issue where they could say, "Let's try and get that in a little bit earlier. Let's get it in for August, because it it, it would kill in August at twelve ninety five. Just kill people would buy it by the case. But I think in September, by then you're like, no, nah, you know, I mean, we'll get three
0: bottles. That being you know, said, maybe... we all, we all, you and I both know how flexible the L C V O can be. Oh
1: yeah, uh, Mary Nissen did I really get uh, Andre? I have to tell you, you're uh, saying something
0: nice about Mary. We haven't talked about Mary Nissen in forever,
1: so. Uh, yeah, I'm going to say something really nice and something very odd, and um, and actually, it's going to be part of uh, of this series that I'm going to do on Instagram called the Interesting Bottles from the uh, Report. And it's not just the the, the, the top scoring wines; it's the ones with interesting labels, the ones that you know you pull out and you go, "Oh, that's that's really cool." So it's got a funky label, or you tasted it and went, "Wow, that's that really is nice." Yeah. Or wines with a really cool backstory. Um, and uh, believe it or not, one of the wines that that, that is going to be uh, featured in that, and that's going to appear all July, and then there will be a guide at the end. Um, but Mary Nissen put together, and I'm just I'm just looking through my rough notes here <laughs> trying to find it.
0: It's a skin
1: fermented Pinot
0: Gris. Oh, cool, cool, cool. Well, you and I both you and I both have a soft spot for those, and when they're done well, they're done like they're they're, they're pretty exciting.
1: They they can be, and and they they made it as an. Uh, not as an orange wine but as an orange wine but they they wanted to do something a little different uh with it and um yeah it is it is it's a 10-day skin ferment uh which seems a little long um you know for a rosé obviously yeah but pinot gris is is different and uh um this this one's uh, really interesting so look for that on my instagram because i will have the full story of how they made it and and why they made it and and stuff like that. And the other interesting thing that I started seeing, and I was kind of excited about, was Pinot Grigio. Um, a lot—I'm uh, not going to say a lot because it was just a few producers sent me from Italy uh, some really, uh, really lovely Pinot Grigio del Venezzi uh, that was pink. And oh, yeah. um, one of those is also going to appear on the, on the Instagram because I got their backstory of why they decided to do it. And uh, really, really uh, interesting to see Pinot Grigio uh, instead of being stripped out and, and uh, as a boring wine being made in the in the pink style, uh, and that's what a lot of them call it. They just call it pink so that people don't think that there's a problem with their Pinot Grigio uh, making it in that lovely pink style, which seems to I don't know why it just it just brightens it up, freshens it up because they haven't stripped it of anything.
0: Cool. So, anything else that you you want to add?
1: Uh, I, I think people should should read the report. I think they should go back numerous times. They should print all a copy. They should uh, carry it with them everywhere they go. Uh, uh, I, I, well, probably be hard because it's not like a uh, <laughs> it's not like a pocket copy. But you know, keep it on your phone. Uh, so when you're on, on in the LCBO and and come back each time to see the the adenums, they will be an announced. Uh, on on Instagram and Facebook and uh, and Twitter and obviously on my on my website or heck just sign up for the newsletter and, and it'll show up in your inbox.
0: Awesome. Also, I, I should I want to tip my hat to you. Your rose tips have been really entertaining. Um, I've I've enjoyed that. Oh, thank
1: you. Um, anyways, I haven't I- enjoyed my hair in any of them, but uh, thankfully, uh, with any luck, uh, I am going to go uh, on the thirtieth and chop this mop off. I'll do it. Andre, I would take clippers to your head in a heartbeat.
0: Yeah, but I like my long hair. Uh, You (laughs) know. People like my long hair. Why do I care what you think about my long hair? All right. Do what you want. Anyways, Anyways. I'm Andre Pru from AndreWineReview.ca. You can follow me on social media at AndreWineReview. You can support this podcast. Check out Patreon.com slash TwoGuysTalkingWine. We appreciate the uh, support that we do get. And uh,
1: I'm Michael Pincus of MichaelPincusWineReview.com. I'm uh, on social media a lot as the great guy or as Michael Pincus. So just find me that way, uh, Andre. It was great uh, talking uh, talking rosé. Yeah. Um, we we rarely talk about the, the pink stuff, and, and it's always nice to to talk about you know some fun frolicky kind of wine. So everybody should get out there. Uh, now that summer is here and now that we can meet friends and and go out and drink wine with them.
0: Say goodnight, Michael. Oh, that's right.
1: Goodnight, Michael. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to Two Guys Talking Wine on iTunes. Two Guys Talking Wine is produced by Jim Ray, Adam Duran, and Ken Little.